You're listening to Good Lad Unscripted with your host. <laughs> Welcome to Good Lad Unscripted, the podcast. Today I've got a virtual guest. This is a this is a different thing for me. We don't do this very often. Now, before we dive into it here, and I introduce this amazing gentleman, this amazing patriot, amazing American. Uh, I want to talk about Facebook. We, my guest and I have never stood face to face to each other. We met on Facebook. We've had this relationship through Facebook. And, and then now, you know, we, we've talked on the phone and, and <laughs> the crazy thing is, is that there is so much common and common between the two of us in our lives and our past our likes, dislikes, our interests, our values. Uh, and, uh, and I know that the day that we actually do sit down and, uh, share a glass of scotch together, that it will be a very, uh, fruitful conversation. We were just prepping for a couple of minutes that turned into a 30 minute conversation. I'm going to try to keep this podcast at 30 minutes, but I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to guarantee anything because he's just got so much to say. Uh, and without further ado, uh, Rick DeLauder. Now, Rick, uh, just hello. You're, you're in sunny Florida right now. Is it sunny there? Is it cloudy? What is it? Oh yeah, it's, it's sunny today. We've had a break in the weather. So, uh, we, it's been really nice, about 90 degrees, typical summer, uh, day here in, uh, in, uh, Tampa. Balmy Tampa. Okay. Now, Rick, uh, I just want to give everybody a bit of background. Uh, you've served in the military, in the army, you retired, uh, Lieutenant Colonel after just about 23 years of service. And, uh, from there you've continued on, uh, and I guess you've had now 43 years. Is that correct? 43 years of continuous service to our country in, in one level or another. Yep. That's correct. Okay. And we're going to characterize your time after you were active duty as a various uh, duties related to national defense and national security. And we're going to leave it at that. Is that correct? Yeah, let's do, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you're not a janitor at the Pentagon or anything like that. You don't wash Hummers or. No, but I am willing to learn. <laughs> Now, I, I want to go back. Uh, I want to bullet point a bit. You've had this tremendous career. Uh, you're 65 years old. You've got two adult children. <clears throat> you come from uh, a long heritage of service to the country. Your grandfather was in the military. Your father and your adult son is also in the military. You served in the military and continue to serve our country. You've got a young, um, a young child. You've got a five-year-old son, Benjamin. At 65. So that's one of those things that you and I share together is that we, you know, I'm, I'm 61 and have, well, I've got four. Uh, you've got one. I beat you there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we're not counting. <laughs> yeah, we're not counting. So I want to talk, I want to talk about your service to our country. I want to talk about how you grew up. Cause I think that's really, really fascinating. And, uh, and then I want to talk about also about being a dad, being a dad when you're older. Cause I think for me, it's one of the greatest things I best decision I probably ever made my whole entire life is being a dad at this point in my life. Um, and, and I know you agree. Uh, I want to go back to how you started off uh, in life. Um, now I want you to talk, uh, I know this story. I know some of the background, but I, I want to hear it in your words. Cause you tell it so much better than I do, but your, your mother and father, uh, come from two different ethnic backgrounds. And of course that created some friction right back then. Now, of course this would have been in, uh, what, 1955, early 50s. Uh, actually, uh, the 1949 is when it started. Um, I was, uh, I was born in 55. So a little bit later, but they, 
they started in 1949. They they met and they married almost immediately. So tell me tell me the story. Tell us the story. So Maria Francesca Medrano was born in 1921 in San Antonio, Texas. She was the first one born on this side of the border. Her dad, my grandfather, was legally naturalized. Uh, my two uncles, they served in World War II. That helped them become American citizens. Uh, my mom was the only college-educated uh, sibling in her family. She was a registered nurse. Um, I mean, you know, doctors used to chase her all over the place. I mean, she had the brain. She had the body. She had the beauty. Uh, she was a devout Roman Catholic. So, you know, there, there you go. Nice, uh, nice uh, Mexican-American family. <laughs> so here comes, dad, here comes dad, you know, in his uniform and what have you, 1949. He was born in 1922 in Smithburg, Maryland, in, in the Catoctin Mountains there in, uh, in Appalachia. German-French stock from the Alsace-Lorraine region. Uh, he was the oldest boy of a family of 16. Oh so, um, yeah, I know. So, yeah, you had kids back then and you loaned them out. That's how you paid debts. But um, <laughs> he, and, and, yeah, it's, 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 it's funny, but it's true. So he joined the Army in February of 41. So this is before Pearl Harbor. He joined the Army so he could have his own bed and he could have shoes. Oh so um, he had a sixth-grade education. He was a carpenter. He's a mechanic. And Back then, they didn't use the word redneck, they used the word hillbilly. So he's a hillbilly. And oh, by the way, he was a Lutheran. So they met in 1949. This is, this is typical dad. He called my mom. He says, I'm going to marry you. Okay, she's got doctors chasing everything. You know, within six months, they elope to Hondo, Texas. And uh, so here you have this devout Christian girl, yeah. Mexican girl. You have this really hardcore, you know, uh, redneck guy. And they run off and get married to the justice of the peace. Not a big church wedding like she wanted and planned and what have you. So whether it was love or lust or whatever, their marriage lasted 55 years wow. until dad passed away back in 2004. Now, they were in their 30s when they had us. My brother arrived first, and then I arrived two years later. So um, uh, my brother is completely, I mean, he's really light-complected. He's, kind of, he's like dad. And, of course, I'm brown. I mean, I, I have that genetic makeup. I found out is uh, 39%, almost 40% is Native American. Who knew? But uh, so that's where my, my grandfather came from, uh, you know, peon, mestizo, what they call mestizo, it's mixed Indian and, and, and Mexican. So um, that, was, that was it. So when dad took her home to meet their, his family, it was like, holy cow, you married a Mexican. And wow. worse yet, she's Catholic. I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. So then <laughs> mom finally takes dad to meet her family. It's like, he's a gringo. He's not even Catholic. So immediately all hell breaks loose. So on both sides of the family, they didn't talk to them for the longest time. Of course, then we, again, we came, what, three, four years later. And that's okay because they always turned that into a positive. They never revealed that to us. I found a lot of this out until I, I got older. I was a teenager and what have you. But I never saw any of that. I, I never saw any of that. It was always, uh, you know, a lot of love, a lot of family um, I mean, dad, eventually they, they just, they absorbed him into the family. His always, his name is Paul and they called him Pablito. So, Hey, Pablo, Pablito. So I had the best of all world, man. I mean, I'm eating homemade Mexican food. Dad makes, uh, you know, uh, cornbread. And I mean, so I, we got this, you know, so it, it was, is find the positive in all of that. And those values that I learned from both those two diverse cultures, it's really the same. Okay. It's love of family. It's love of God. It's a service to your, your neighbors, service to your country. Uh, as I said, my uncle served well, all my dad's brothers. Every single one of my uncles is a, is a veteran, uh, all NCOs, non-commissioned officers. So I looked at this as, man, what a blessing. 
I didn't really realize at the time. I mean, I was just, you know, you know, knucklehead kid running around and what have you. But um, now I was, uh, I was blessed. I consider myself very blessed, but that was the root and the foundation. I think uh, that uh, you, you start seeing the similarities as opposed to the differences. So you grow up in those two diverse cultures and it's like, man, this is good. You know, the, the God is good. This is, this is really a, this is really a blessing in disguise. Were there we any, didn't move much. Were there Go any ahead. points of friction in there like uh, <clears throat> that you remember as a kid between your mom and dad with the different cultures? And the reason why oh, I bring oh, this I, up is, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm Canadian, Anna's Brazilian, and, and, you know, it's inevitable. There's differences in cultures, and we have to resolve those differences. And then, of course, share with our kids what we want them to, to draw from that, right? What's going to be applicable to their lives? Did you run into that as a kid? I never, I never saw any of that. Cause I will tell you my dad, I mean, you know, he was just devoted to mom, just the way it is. Um, wow. so he converted to Catholicism. Actually, he became a deacon. He actually got his, finally uh, got his college degree when he was in his fifties in theology because he became a deacon in the Roman Catholic church, wow. taught theology and what have you. So, so he, he modified, I don't want to say compromised, uh, just because he loved mom so much and, and everything was for the family. And so lower middle, you know, income kind of family and what have you. So it's, um, it was, um, it, it, it was the best of all possible worlds because I grew up again, very blessed to have that kind of a, of an environment. So I never saw that with mom and dad. Of course they'd argue they'd have their, you know, all families do what sure. have you. Yep. But the, the thing I'm most proud of is, is my dad broke the cycle of alcoholism and, and broke the cycle of abuse. I mean, his, his dad, my grandfather, I don't know if it's PTSD. I mean, in world war one, you know, he was, he was exposed to a lot of stuff and gassed and all that. And he was an alcoholic and he used to beat his boys. He didn't beat the girls, but he beat the boys. Dad never did that. I mean, I did, I get a swat on the rear end every once in a while. Believe me, I deserved every one of them. Um, <laughs> but, but it was, it, I was so, and I didn't realize that again until I became a young man and what have you. And I, I admired my father even more because, that's just the kind of guy he was. So it's, 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 the, it was, the, again, I go back, it's the best of all possible worlds. So I, I may just be lucky. I don't think so. I think I'm blessed. Uh, but my parents took extra care to encourage and enable us. And, and that was, that's what I think, you know, builds a solid foundation. And all too often when I see this, which is, I try, I try, I'll never be, I can never measure up to my mom and my dad in my mind. So what do you try to do to encourage, enable your children uh, not to tell them they're special and they get a trophy for any of that crap? Talking about the, the encouragement and the love and support that you give a, a child. And that's what I think uh, resonates with a lot. So for all the guys out there who are older and what have you, yeah, being a dad again of, of, uh, and, and look forward to it. When we knew we were going to have Benjamin, man, my heart was racing. I thought I was in seventh heaven, man. It's like, this is, this is just absolutely phenomenal. So but I, I hearken back to that's my foundation uh, was from my was from my parents. Now you've got two adult children in their thirties, <clears throat> and yes. and then now starting over with Benjamin, uh, having a, a if you a do over if you will. Uh, are you doing anything different? I mean, there, there's a unique situation. Benjamin has Down syndrome. And so yes. I'm sure that uh, I haven't uh, experienced that myself. Uh, I'm sure there are some differences there, but. What what would you do differently as a father that you, that you will do differently the second time around? Um, well, a good thing is is I am home more. When I had uh, Jennifer and uh, she was 1981, we were at uh, she's a Fort Sill baby. I call him, I call him by where our assignments were. My <laughs> son John was a Fort Campbell baby when I was in the 101st. Um, 
I, I wish I was home more, but the army had the, the, had the vote on all those. So I, I missed some of their growing up. Uh, I don't have that uh, challenge now with Benjamin. I'm home, have decent hours, you know, uh, like a, like a nine to five job. Mm-hmm. Um, but you obviously, as you know, Terry, when you get older, you, you, you have a lot more patience. You understand the bigger picture and what. So, uh, I mean, it, it was, um, it, when I went through my first divorce and everything, I was a single dad. My children, my daughter, my my daughter Jennifer and John, when they were in their preteens and what have you, they decided to stay with me. So I I, I I don't know what I did, but they wound up wanting to stay with their dad. So nothing against my ex, believe me, she's a wonderful woman and everything, and it was amicable, but uh, I had custody of them full time and what. So I, you know, whatever I think I was doing was okay because uh, because of, of the relationship I had with my adult children throughout their lives. I was very close to them. Again, I was trying to live up to my mom and dad's uh, way of uh, way of raising a child. Yeah. So that was very good, and that paid off. But with Benjamin, uh, not because he has Down syndrome, um, it's just it's it, you're a lot more cognizant of what's going on, uh, and you you learn to appreciate the moments more. Uh, I can recall all the times with with uh, Jen and John uh, hiking trails in the in the Washita Mountains in, in Oklahoma. Uh, whether we were uh, white, uh, uh, white watering in the uh, you know, West Virginia, white water rafting in West Virginia, uh, climbing up and down hill and dale on the Big Island of, Oahu, of, of Hawaii, or whatever we were doing. Okay, it was just fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but you always do stuff and, and, and no TV, none of that crap. So dinner time is dinner time. It is with Benjamin. No television, no no phones. Well, nowadays you have phones. We don't have to worry about the phones back then. Right. But that's quiet time. The the the, the time that you put in is, okay, how was your day at the end of the day? Uh, hey, what'd you do today, son? Or, 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 or Jennifer, you know, say, hey, sweetheart, what do you do? What have you? They, they came to appreciate that because it was funny because uh, I, I was a grammar Nazi. And so, well, we did, uh, we did uh, good. I said, no, you did well. I said, well is an adverb. It describes another verb, an adverb. I said, good, did. Well, guess what they did? They did very well in English, comp- you know, and, and what have you in college. So, so it kind of paid off, but, but they did. But that's, that's what dinners are for. Not, not to be a grammar Nazi, but it's, it's, you spend time listening to your children. You get spot, spend time dedicated to your family. And again, those were the values my parents, again, I was very blessed that instilled in us because that was, that was just nothing. Every, the world came to an end. It was always about family. So you carve out that time in the day, okay? It's one of 24 hours. Not, it wasn't always a full hour for dinner or what, but it was one hour at least, if you could, um, of a whole day where it was just you and the family. And that's, and that's it. So you appreciate it more when you're older, I think. You appreciate it more when you're... Uh, 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 have that time and you're more cognizant of it, I guess is, is, is what I'm saying. So, right now <clears throat> want to just pause that part for a second. I want to bounce over to your military service. Uh, you retired a Lieutenant Colonel in the army. Uh, you've served overseas a number of times, uh, both in active duty and since you left and you're serving in another capacity. Uh, being away from family in that regard, uh, obviously that is going to be a difficult challenge. And I think coming back, I think that's one of the greater challenges. Would you agree for, for, uh, you know, our, our service members that are away from their families coming back, that transition back is always a challenge. Would you agree? It, oh, oh, absolutely. I, I don't, I don't know where we get these young people nowadays, man. I'm just, I'm in awe of all these youngsters and how anybody can hold families together uh, with all the deployments they've gone through since since uh, 2003, when we uh, we picked up the the war in Iraq, 
and, uh, and, and we were already doing some fighting in Afghanistan, but I, nowadays over the last, what, 18 years, how long have we been at war? What, 18 years going on 19 years? Um, it's phenomenal. I, so these kids, it's just, it's really tough. The military isn't for the, uh, is, is, is we sometimes make it harder and I wish we didn't, but, uh, um, you got to go in with eyes really wide open and and then some, but it is tough coming back. Um, Now, now you've obviously you're not doing that anymore. You're not leaving. You got your nine to five job Uh, going through all of those struggles and and like that. And now you've got this time with Benjamin. Um, Is that different? I guess what I'm getting at is uh, and without knowing uh, and for you specifically, you know, when you're gone and you're coming back and you're gone and coming back and you're dealing with, uh, you're dealing with the problems of the world. You're dealing with the problems of the world that 99.999%, you know, uh, don't ever see, don't even know about. Right. Uh, and I want to, and I want to, at some point here, I want to talk about your patriotism and your, and how serving overseas and doing the stuff that you've done has shaped your worldview. But, but coming back, how do you shut that off? And I guess that's what I'm saying is when you're on deployment, when you've been doing something for six months or a year or however long you're, you're doing it and you come back and you have to readjust to family life now where it's no longer about survival. It's no longer about, you know, being in that mix. It's, you know, you're like you, like you mentioned earlier when we were talking, you know, you're, you've got a, a ceramic toilet to, and, and you've got a sink and you've got air conditioning and, and a bed, a nice bed to sleep in. Uh, that adjustment period, what is that like for you coming back all of a sudden jumping into dad's shoes and husband's shoes? Um, yeah, obviously, obviously everybody's different. I don't want to get to, uh, I don't want to give you a convoluted answer because I, I don't know. I mean, I read a bunch of books about world war two and dad would never talk about it. Uh, the way a lot of those folks fought in world war two, they came back you're asking a lot of normal kids because that's when World War II broke out. A lot of guys just joined, you know, what have you. They were all kids and they came back men uh, for those who did come back. Mm-hmm. Um, you asking normal people, normal kids from, you know, all across America to go do abnormal things. Uh, they've seen the horrors of war and what have you. And I'm not, you know, there have been many people, you know, greater than I ever read the book from uh, Tom Brokaw, Greatest Generation. I highly recommend it if you never read it. Yes. Um, and these guys just come back to being, you know, the butcher, baker, and candlestick maker. Like it, it never happened, but they never talked about it. Um, Korea, same way. Uh, Vietnam, especially, decimated a lot of our guys and and uh, a lot of suicides. This war has been going on for eighteen years. We have a very high suicide rate. It is hard. Yeah, I'm not, if I'm lying to you, if they said, "Oh no, I just come back in," you pop right in. But we all deal it in the same way. And in my mind, uh, you find strength. And in, and in, 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 and I'm a Christian. Believe me, I'm not. A, I'm, it sounds badly, but you know, I'm not a Bible thumper and what have you, you know, say, no, but I will tell you if, if, if I didn't have, if I wasn't grounded with my faith and I didn't have that relationship with my Lord, I don't know what I do. So I, I give it over to God. You, you pray a lot, you contemplate, but you don't want to overthink it. I see the goodness in my beautiful wife, Amanda. I see the goodness in my son. I see the goodness in all the blessings that have been bestowed upon me. It's so, you just, you just work through it. Uh, if you think about it all the time, it will overwhelm you. So simple things, you know, th- th- just watch the sunrise. You were talking about earlier with, before we came on air, but you know, just a cup of coffee, best time of day is early in the morning. Okay. Right. Every single day since I, since my mom taught me how to pray, 
uh, you always give thanks to the Lord for another day. Okay. You never know what's going to be your last. So things like that and how you're, how you're grounded and, and what makes you, you, um, is, is, is just, and then just give it over to God. Just, it's just the way it is. So, um, it, it, it's, it can be sometimes pretty, uh, pretty daunting, but it's like, no, you have to think about your child. What's their perspective? What's their view? What about my wife? What kind of day has she had? What's her perspective? What's her view? So if you put yourself in that other person's shoes, you know, I'll I'll take my mind off of me. It ain't about me. Never was about me. It's about your family. It's about, um, uh, the, the example you want to set. Uh, because remember, these aren't these aren't your children. I mean, they, I always, and my dad taught me that. I like they, I like they, I know what you're going to say, and I just want to I want to just if <laughs> stop and listen to this because this is probably one of the most important things I think I've ever heard you say, and certainly as uh, it's something that I've shared since you told me this, uh, and I've shared it with a lot of people, and it it's very very impactful. And go ahead, sorry to interrupt. No, that's okay. So my dad taught me says, "Hey, listen, you're not mine." And I was like what I've adopted. So he goes, no, he goes, you belong to God. He goes, you're a gift from God. So by the grace of God, you know, we had you and your brother. Okay. Um, and so I'm going to be judged on what kind of foundation I built for you. I said, well, what's that all about? I understood that when I became a young man and I definitely understood it when I was, a, when I became a dad. So our children are not ours. And the Bible, you know, husband and wife will join as one. And, uh, and, 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 and there you have, you have children, what, but they grow up, be fruitful and multiply, and they will leave the family and what have you. Um, so you start in your life with you, with your wife and you dedicate yourself to your marriage the best you can and so on. But your children aren't yours. Your children belong to God. So when I face my Lord and say, Hey, you know, he's going to ask you, what did you do with my children? What's your answer? And there you have it. So right. this isn't about you. This is about them. And so, and that doesn't mean babying and pampering and all that. And you're special and you get a trophy crap. This means about raising them to honor God, to love your father and your mother, to treat all, you know, the golden rule, because that's how you will be judged and how you raise God's children. Right. It's that simple. And that's, that's something that, uh, you know, I remember that from a long time ago, but you lose sight of that. And I think it's an easy thing to do. You know, I agree with you so much about that time in the morning is a time where you can set up your whole day. When you're not prepared for the day, the day comes at you and now you're reactive. When you get up and you can prepare yourself for the day and put things in perspective, you know, what does my wife need? What do my children need? You know, uh, and understand that I'm here to serve them. That uh, And this is another, another philosophy I always believe is that, you know, a God, you know, people talk about God and it's like, uh, you know, they pray for things and they pray and it's just like, okay. And we're supposed to pray for things. But my point is this, is that we approach this sometimes thinking that God is there to serve us. Uh, many people that tell me about their disappointments or their disbelief in God, or they, you know, a God wouldn't do this. You know, it's like, okay, it's, it's coming at it from the perspective that God is there to serve us rather than we're here to serve God. And exactly. And when you go at it from that perspective, we're here to serve God. It's so much easier just to go, okay, what does my wife need? What do my children need? What does my community need? What does my country need? What does my neighbor need? Uh, and then of course we have to be look after ourselves as well so that we can deliver on all of those needs. Right. And so, exactly. Uh, and so understanding that, I think that's such a powerful thing. And I think every man, um, you know, if you can understand that that child was a gift, uh, 
whether you believe in God or not, that child's a gift and you have a responsibility to that child. You know, because I think we forget that sometimes. They're little people and they can't advocate for themselves. You have to be their advocate. And sometimes, yeah, they get annoying. And sometimes you're not, you're, you're tired and you just don't want or they get frustrated or whatever. But just understand that that's a gift and something you'll be measured on later in life. Yeah. You know, so. But, exactly. Well, and to your point about prayer, uh, you're right. Um, I, you know, morning prayers, evening prayers, read the Bible at night before I go to bed and things like that. But it, at the end of the day, uh, uh, you, when you, when and my dad taught me this too, he goes, you know, God helps those who help themselves. So I don't always, I don't always, I rarely ask God, Hey, you know, if you could see fit, uh, Lord, you know, get me out of this mess. What? Nah, I got myself into this. Okay. Right. So God helps those who help themselves. So I'm not going to ask, Hey dear Lord, can you, nah, I screwed up. I'm going to get myself out. I will praise. I will, you know, praise and adoration. Uh, I will thank I always thankful and, you know, for my wife, for my family, for my life, for, for hitting the lottery, just being born an American, you know, things like that. I will, I will pray and say, thank you. But praise isn't for, Hey, you know, can you spot me a couple of, 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 uh, of the bucks here, uh, Lord, and you know, I'll be okay. I'll pay you back on Thursday. Yeah. Now nah, I don't ask for stuff for myself. It's, that's just one of those, again, what are you grounded in and, and how are you brought up kind of thing. So, uh, you got yourself into a mess. Get yourself out of the mess. You don't need to be bothering God. He's got a lot of other things to worry about in life. I don't need to be bothering him about my, you know, lazy butt, you know, so here you go. So, uh. <laughs> okay. Now I want to talk about Benjamin again. Now, Benjamin has down syndrome. Uh, I assume you would have known that before he was born. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. Okay. What was that? What would kind of put me there for a second? What was that like, Rick, when you found that out? What were your feelings? So, um, at first it was like, well, okay, I got to learn more about Down syndrome because I see, I never, I, I, um, I never looked about, and, th and this sounds, it, it, this, it, you know, I don't know what anybody believe or not, but, uh, um, I was ready to go. I said, okay, I'm starting fatherhood again at 60. It's a no brainer. Uh, age was never a factor, but then it's like, oh, he's, he's got trisomy 21. Okay. What does that mean? Um, so, okay. If that's the blessing the Lord's bestowed upon us, then, uh, so be it. So, what do I need to learn? How do I be a better father? If he has Christ in me 21, he's got that extra chromosome. What do I got to do? So, you know, sorry, this is my old army thing. Okay, so what do I got to do? You know, so I go into checklist mode. I got to start reading books about this. I want to make sure, cause I want to be the best possible dad. How can I support Amanda? How can, you know, so again, you know, not like almost like an automaton and what, but I just went back to God and said, Hey, why me Lord? I didn't say why me Lord? Cause why did you pick on me and give me a son with an extra chromosome? I said, Dear Lord, why did you give me a son with an extra chromosome? Because that's such a blessing. I got to tell you, um, I don't know what I did to deserve such a gift. He is so humbling. Okay, his gift is joy. I mean, he makes everybody. I mean, just so everybody has different gifts. He is, the sooner you recognize them and, and, and employ them and, and utilize them often, you're, you're in a good place. But he's just humbled me. I mean, you talk about teaching me even more patience. I'm not known for that. Okay, so so. <laughs> Things like that. It's like, holy cow. I'm like, you know what? I just, you know, I love my son more and more every day. I see his eyes. I see Amanda and my dad. He has hazel eyes. My dad had hazel eyes. Amanda has hazel eyes. Um, and so he has dad's hair. He has real fine, you know, like brown hair and what have you. So, I mean, just what an awesome little guy. And so I'm like, I never thought twice about it. So, oh, woe is me. Are we going to have to do that? Nah, I don't care. It's like drive, drive on. I look at him as a little boy. I look at him as my son. And, oh, by the way, he just happens to have Christ in me 21. So I'll put it to you this way, okay? Mm -hmm. um, what, do you, what did you aspire to be as a kid? And these are all rhetorical, so you don't have to answer. But what did you aspire to be as a kid? So you wanted to learn to drive a car. 
Uh, did you want to get a PhD? Did you want to be a power lifter? Do you want to be an actor with an Emmy? Do you want to be a fashion model? Um, all those things I just said, kids, young adults with trisomy 21 have accomplished all those things. Mm-hmm. So the point is, is the folks that hold back any person with any kind of um, uh, challenge in life, whether it's autism or what have you, it's because they're limited by the people around them. Okay. Open your aperture, open it up and say, well, what is the realm of possible? See, I look at my son. I don't see my son with trisomy 21. I see my son. He's a little boy. I actually had one idiot. God, God bless him. He's just an idiot though. <laughs> when in Texas, we say bless his heart. Yeah. Okay, so bless his heart. Um, and he goes, well, you know, your son's never going to be a quarterback in the NFL. I said, well, were you? Okay. Case closed knucklehead. Right. So, if you weren't a quarter, what does that have to do with the price of bread? Okay. So right. I never, it, those kinds of thoughts never occur to me. It's always like, okay, so what else can I do today? We're, we got on the tricycle. At what point in time do we want to get him on the bike? At what time? Would, so, okay. So he's got, he has a few challenges as far as development goes, but I mean, he's five years old. He scrolls through his little tablet. He's learning his numbers. He's still learning the numbers and all those kind of things. And he knows what songs to look to listen to. There's a big, great program, by the way. And I don't know if I told you, Anna, but Coco Melon, okay? So Coco Melon and a couple of these others. And so we kind of live in a Coco Melon world and there's little cartoons and what have you. And, you know, if my soldiers heard me say that, they'd think, damn, sir, you know, so, you know, <laughs> it's just, okay. So yeah, I live in a Coco Melon world too with my son. So it's fun. But he's scrolling through all these programs and everything. And like, he's five years old. I was five years old. I was eating dirt, man. I, I know what I was doing when I was five years old. So <laughs> I was like, come on, man. So, so I just, I approached that with, um, okay, so how else can I enable him, uh, enable him and, uh, and encourage him uh, as I did with my older children and what have you. So um, if you, if you ever, I'll, I'll digress off of that point because Abraham Lincoln gave all the credit in his life to his mom. It's actually his stepmom. His mom died when he was a young man. So Abraham Lincoln, by the way, is, is, is my hero, several heroes, but he's one of my biggest heroes besides my dad. Um, and he gave all his credit to his mom. And the one thing I learned about his mother, actually his stepmom was she always encouraged him when his, he was told, okay, well, stop reading, go to sleep. So he said, no, no, let him read some more. Let him read some more. Um, and, and, and just when you encourage your child and you, you can see what the possibilities are, I don't know what he wants to be when he grows up. But whatever he's going to be, he's going to be damn good at it. That's all I know. And I make sure he knows that. I, I make sure my kids knew that. So, so it's that kind of all going back to that, uh, you know, what, what got you here, uh, the foundation you have and you formed as a child and takes you through early, early uh, uh, fatherhood and all. And now as an older guy, man, it just, it's just constantly reinforced. So, again, going back to just being blessed. So, do, you feel uh, more protective of, do you feel more protective of him than you did your other kids? Uh, um, not really, only because sometimes he's not aware of, of some of the things going on around him. Right. Um, what you see is what you get. He's very trusting. Uh, and so, yeah, in that regard, I am, I guess I'm, I'm overprotective. Uh, uh, so yeah, I guess in that regard, I am. Um, okay. but, uh, no, I mean, we, we, gosh, if you turn him loose, man, he'll, he's all over the place. He's a boy. Okay. He's a typical right. boy. You know, let's play in the mud. He goes, you know, <laughs> soccer. Oh, by the way, he's damn good at soccer. So, um, you know, he's five years old. I'm like, I look at a ball. I'm like, I could barely bounce it much as kick it. You know? So, uh, so, you know, what can I tell you? So, <laughs> okay. Now I, from there, I want to go back. So we sort of framed up where you come from, you know, your life situation and like that. I want to talk about, uh, work for a minute. Now, I know there's a lot we can't talk about there, the specifics of your work, but you have been around the world. You've got some favorite places. 
some not so favorite places. Uh, you've, you know, I, I know I, I talked to you about some of the awards or distinctions, you know, when, when you're in the military serving your country for that long, uh, and you excel the way you have, you know, there's going to be accolades there. And of course, true to your nature, you've downplayed those things. Uh, you did share a couple of them with me, but really not a lot of detail. I want to talk a little bit about um, some of the things you've done. I know there's a great story about a life you saved, and, and it's just a really fascinating story. And I'd like you to tell that story for me. But I'd also like, to, on the backdrop of, you know, if anybody has an opinion, you know, it, it, right now, of course, our country is experiencing a very difficult time. And, and if you go on Facebook, which is just hard to do, Twitter's even harder, but you go on there and it's just everybody's got an opinion. And, you know, you listen to a lot of them and it's like, gosh, you really shouldn't be sharing that right now, you know. And, uh, but I, I think if anybody's qualified to have an opinion, I think it's you just because of your service, the access to information that the public doesn't get that you have on a daily basis, uh, your experience all over the world with different kinds of governments, different kinds of leaders, different kinds of laws and customs and things like that. I think you do have an opinion. So I want to talk uh, a little bit about some of the, your exploits, some of the things you've done. Um, and, and I don't expect you to be any more forthcoming because you're just a very humble guy in that regard. Um, but I do want to hear your belief on things like medals and awards and, and recognition for things well done. Uh, and I want to talk about your, and hear about your, your worldview. I want to hear the story first though, about the, about the, uh, the, the guy that, the life that you saved. I think that's a big one, right? Would you agree? Yeah. 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 That's, um, so for the longest time, that was the only award I, I wore, even as a Lieutenant Colonel, I have a, uh, it's an army commendation medal and all it is, is God put the right guy in the right place at the right time. So, uh, the neighbors, I was lived in a, in a duplex. Uh, my first assignment was in Italy, in Northern Italy and, uh, a little town called Oderzo. And there was a little Frazione it's a little suburb of Oderzo in the, in the Treviso province in Northern Italy and uh, a little town called Colfrancui. And the, this kid, the, the, the landlord um, was babysitting, the landlord of our home and his wife were babysitting the little toddler and the little toddler got away from them. They didn't pay attention or what have you. And a lot of the, in this part of, of Italy, the, 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 the snow melts and the water comes down from the Alps and, and irrigates a whole lot of the grapes, the vineyards there and what have you. And so you have all these little uh, irrigation ditches all over the place. Little boys fell in. I didn't see any of this. I just heard uh, the, uh, the, uh, the the mom walking around holding the baby upside down by his ankle saying, you know, live, live in Italian. So, so, okay, nothing's happening. So a guy that I was sponsoring, the guy, my replacement, the lieutenant was coming in to take my place. I was getting ready to, PC, uh, ready to get to do a change of station. Um, he says, hey, there's something going on, Rick. So we ran outside. The little boy was all black and blue, all blue around the lips and what have you. So. Uh, I gave the keys to my car. I threw him. His name was Ben. I said, Hey Ben, go fire up the car. Uh, get ready. we got to go to the ER. So I grabbed the little boy, did mouth to mouth, actually covered his whole, his mouth, uh, nose and his mouth. Uh, gave him CPR, got a mouthful of water and pasta. A kid been eating a lot of pasta. <laughs> so, uh, but we got the pulse back and I checked his pulse first carotid and, uh, and his, and his wrist, nothing there. Uh, I don't know why I stopped to do that first, but I used CPR, you know, thank God for army training, what have you. By the way, I was a phys ed major, so I had to go and earn CPR anyway. I was CPR certified. So again, it goes to, you really need to learn even the basic stuff in life. 
Right. So uh, we got him breathing again, got him throwing up everything. He's crying. We jump in the car. I'm in the back seat trying to still continue to revive and get all the water out of his uh, system and what have you. So Ben drives. We drive to the uh, ER. We just pull, I mean, we pull right up uh, the little hospital there. Uh, crash open the door. Say, hey, we got to see the attending physician, you know. And a uh, guy walks up. Guess who the attending physician is? The little boy's dad. Oh, my god! So, I mean, it was one of those, like, holy cow, you couldn't write a script. And so, so they took the boy and what have you, you know. For the last two months that I was there in Italy, I lived rent free. That wasn't the purpose of the drill. The point was, uh, the little boy wound up becoming a doctor. Oh my so gosh. I lost track of him about uh, 15 years ago or so. But uh, great little guy, uh, grew up to be a fine young man. Uh, but again, it's one of those, you know, by the grace of God, you know, here you here you go. So yeah, my only two life saving experiences were in Italy. I saved the dog too, uh, uh, mouth to muzzle. Believe it or not, that was fun. That was in uh, Padua. Uh, and I got drenched from that one. I had to jump in and go get him. But anyway, so it's, it's one of those just right place, right time. And, uh, that's why I was most proud of that. I don't believe when it comes to all the awards and all these guys get all this stuff. I mean, we need to get away from all the crap we have and maybe just, uh, uh, the, the purple heart and the, and a, and a, and a bronze star and maybe the medal of honor. That's about it. Um, but we look like a bunch of, uh, I don't know, Chinese generals now. And this is my personal opinion, okay? This is not related to, you know, official positions, Department of Defense, right? right. So it, we just look like a bunch of flipping peacocks. We got all this crap all over us and badges and this and that. You're a soldier. You know, just do your job. If you did your job well, good, got it, thanks. You lived another day. Hopefully you train some men and you go do another mission. But, man, we just... We, give away just for showing up, you know, national defense service ribbon. Uh, I went through basic training ribbon, you know, like crap. It's all that crap that snuck in. And I got a trophy cause I showed up and I wear a uniform. That's crap. So it's an old, so I'm sorry, simple old paratrooper here. Um, that's, that's <laughs> what I, I think that, you know, we, we slap ourselves on the back and say what, how great we are. You know, remember that, uh, you know, uh, stuck in his thumb and pulled out a plum and uh, right. said, what a good boy am I. Right. That, that nursery rhyme. That's what it reminds me of. It's just a bunch of garbage. I mean, you know, we serve the American people and it sounds idealistic. But no, this is the way it is, the way it's supposed to be. We serve the American people. Okay. The, the, the military and the army, the Air Force, Navy, Marine Corps, Coast Guard, we're, a, we're an instrument of the American people. I truly believe that, you know, support and defend the constitution against all enemies, foreign domestic. That's all true. You know, thank you for your service. I always report my answer back is, uh, thank you for being the American worth serving. And that lets them think about it. Okay. So what kind wow. of American are you worth serving? So, so I always give that retort because I want them to think about it. With all this stuff, like you talked about, all this crap going on, one thing I've learned by all over the world and what, so I'll talk about that in a second, is Americans are a lot more alike than we really believe. I don't know about all this crap in the media and all this stuff going on. We're pretty much alike. And we have our challenges, okay? The good, the bad, and the ugly, which is why we shouldn't be destroying history, okay? We need to learn from it. We need to remember it. We need to be reading all this stuff. But, uh, by the way, I'm a big history buff and what. So... When we when we confront things, let's have those discourses. So for full disclosure, some of my best friends are Republicans and Libertarians and Democrats. And you know what? It, it's it's just be just be an American first, and just uh, you know listen. You know, people listen to respond and and not to understand, and that's very powerful. Big big one. You listen to respond because then I got to jump in and tell you what I'm. Stop. Stop, 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 okay? Walk a mile in their shoes. Understand their position. Understand their culture. And if you haven't done that, 
which again, I, I think I'm very blessed by, you know, having two different cultures and, you know, from, uh, you know, Appalachia and, 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 you know, Mexican American and Indian native American, I, I got the best of all worlds, but you at least then understand cultures and you understand folks. So, you know, not to sound like a, you know, Oh crap, you know, everything's lollipops and unicorns and all that stuff. You, you, there's, there's ugly with that too. And then you just have to learn how to confront that and understand. But I think Americans are a lot more alike than sometimes we realize. Um, and, and, and with that, because you asked about, you know, well, all over the world, I've, I've been to every continent except two. I haven't been to Africa. I haven't been to Antarctica. Um, I've, I've seen man's inhumanity to man. I've seen indifference. I've seen injustice. I've seen, uh, um, just the depredations, uh, uh, uh caused by the indifference or just the cruelty. Um, I got to tell you for all the folks that are listening are Americans, uh, you already won the lottery. Okay. You were born in the United States of America. I got to tell you this, no matter what else you believe you won the lottery. Okay. I've won it several times. I've got great children. I've got Amanda. So believe me, I've won multiple times. So stop gambling is my point. Okay. Right. Um, you, you, we've already arrived. So use that, use that powerfully, but use that to learn our history. So I wish more folks could travel as Mark Twain. I'm paraphrasing Mark Twain. It's the folks that travel that understand the best because you see the good, the bad and everything. And this is Mark Twain because he's did extensive traveling, uh, you know, Samuel Clemens and what have you. But, right. um, if you can't travel, then revert to the Abraham Lincoln, just read, you know, I, I try to read, uh, every two weeks, I want to finish another book. So, um, you understand perspectives. If you don't understand cultures, if you don't understand their history, and we're talking about our partners and, and other nations and even our enemies or potential enemies or former enemies or what have you, um, understand their position, uh, understand where they're coming from and you have a bit better perspective. Latin America, Middle East, Asia, whatever, you know, and, and, and so think about those things because an educated mind is a formidable, formidable capability in any individual, but you're educated. You've learned yourself. You draw your own opinions. Don't tell anybody, let anybody tell you how to think, but read, read, read. My, my, my parents bought me all these books when I was a kid for an ADHD. I'm self, by the way, self-diagnosed, you know, I can't pay attention too long. So, um, so for that active kid, what, so I was either outside playing sports because I was encouraged to do that or I was inside reading, you know, Encyclopedia Britannica, the original Google, right? Encyclopedia Britannica. Right. So, so I was very blessed to have that capability. Again, that was a pretty big deal for a lower middle income family, but my parents saw to it that we had those things. So, so you read and you read and you read and you just become more inquisitive and say, well, why is that? And how did that work? And so no one can, you'll form your own opinions. But again, if, if, I wish I could take some of those snapshots and expose, you know, folks to and see, this is what it's like. And there's some pretty brutal things that happen. Um, and we, we, we didn't want to, we don't want to uh, upset people. Um, for example, okay. You saw the movie Saving Private Ryan, right? Yes. Okay. Um, compare that to the movie The Longest Day back in 1962, and they had all those things going on. Well, in 1962, there was a scene where the guys are jumping into Normandy. Um, the only time I ever saw my dad cry, there's a guy that lands, there's a guy that lands into a burning church, really happened. Wow. Next thing you know, all these, all these rounds are going off, all these explosions are going off and, and didn't say a thing all these years later. Then I finally asked my dad why, and I understood why, you know, guys coming more to rounds and grenades and things like that. 
you watch Save Me Private Ryan and you see that um, that opening scene on Omaha Beach. You hear the rounds going. That's what it's like. Yeah. You want you want the lottery guy. You're you're an American. So that's that's where you're at. So um, that's that's enough said. You don't have to worry. You quit worrying about our differences. Let's look at where we're alike. Um, we won the lottery. We're Americans, and we're alive. So, and we're alive. And you know, we were joking earlier about you know, so guys complain and what have you. I mean, I've been to these places where. Oh gosh, you're you're dipping a little um, uh, plastic bowl to get some water out of a creek or something like that because that's the only way you're going to get a bath today. And and you, you have a different you have a specific name for the kind of bath you take. You, know, you just wash your armpits and you know your your private areas and your hat, your head and what. Um, so when you come back to the United States, like we said, hey, you got ceramic toilets and hot and cold running water, man. Life is good, okay? Because yeah. there's people there. Sadly, there are people who do that. You know, I've done. I did subsequent missionary missions out in uh, with a church I used to belong to when we lived in Virginia and went back to Honduras because uh, there's been a lot of time in Central America. Um, and some of the same places we were in when we lived in, uh, or, and we did live in Honduras, uh, and some of the far out places, not in Tegucigalpa, but up in uh, Lancho and, and, and some of the Gracias a Dios and some of the other outer provinces and what have you. And boy, but there for the grace of God go I. I'm telling you. I'm just telling you. So, um, thank God we're Americans, but, um, we've made some differences even after getting out of the army. We I was able to, well, my family and I were able to help some of the little towns and, you know, get electricity there and things like that. Not because you're altruistic or anything, or you're just, because it's the right thing to do. A lot of the women, uh, and the men, they, they have to walk a couple miles to get on a bus, to go to the town, to do their job, come back and do all that. And the kids, nobody's watching the kids during the day. You're talking about toddlers to, you know, teenagers, dirt fours. Uh, maybe, uh, if they're lucky, a 25 by 25 foot, uh, home single room, uh, kind of thing. And again, I say dirt floors. And, uh, and so I used to go on these medical missions, uh, back in, uh, uh, about, uh, 15 years ago. So the women would go to the maquilas to the, uh, um, to work, you know, sewing the sweatshops and what the guys would go off and do whatever, uh, carpentry or, or, uh, arc welding and what. So, they didn't have electricity. I'm like, well, why not? Well, it's all political. What? So we gathered up enough funds and we were able to bring electricity out to their little town. And Oh, by the way, the women then could buy or do their own sewing there. They didn't have to go all the way. So they had family time. So it was always driven by this. Well, why can't the family stay together? And that was my only point in doing that. So, so as a result of going on those church missions, you learn about, well, what's the root problem again, back to military mind. So, so let's get down to the brass tacks. What's the root problem. If we solve this, can we get to there? Um, and so we did. And so little things like that to make a difference, uh, orphanages in, in, uh, in Korea and what have you. In my mind, that's what I think military does. I mean, we are. We're here to fight and win our nation's wars. I get that. We're very good at that, believe me. But there's so much more you're supposed to do, unwritten rules, whatever, that you can do because you're representing the United States of America. And you can help bestow our blessings on other people. Sounds corny, maybe. I don't think so. I, I truly believe it. Um, but you don't do it because of any other reason, because it's just the right thing to do. So you're exposed to a lot of that. I wish more Americans could be exposed to that. Even the brutality of what, cause then you say, you know what? I don't want to have to go to war. And, uh, I didn't want to express any personal opinions on this, but I, you know, we should have never gone into Iraq. Okay. I mean, just, just why, 
so now we know why Iran Iraq, uh, reacts the way they do. Well, if you were surrounded by Americans in Afghanistan and in Iraq, well, what would you do? So wait a minute. So do you feel threatened? <laughs> I think so. Mm-hmm. So think it through. That are, by the way, all these leaders, they're elected officials. They're not leaders. Okay. So let's quit calling them leaders. Let's call them elected officials. They work for us. Right. So, um, so, so, you know, all politics is local. Uh, being a being a good American, but understand the issues and understand the situation. Um, you know what God is here, and and, and uh, don't take any of those things for granted. Because again, hey, we already won the lottery, man. But but get involved. We can do this cordially. We can do this peacefully, um, uh, and with uh, proper discourse. I think as good Americans, uh, hey, we can agree to disagree. But you know what? At first and foremost, in my mind, hey, we're Americans, and that's what makes all the difference in the world, in my mind. So, just, so. And I want to just talk about the military just in, in general. <clears throat> For the average kid that, that enlists, that, that joins the military, either becomes a, an NCO or, or like just that side or becomes an officer, uh, is this something you, th- do you think it's an enlightening experience? I mean, not just going to war, but the whole military experience. Do you think it's something that every kid should do? Yeah. Um, I think we ought to... And, and it's just going to the military, but, but especially the military, again, I have a bias and, you know, I, I, I kind of know where all my, uh, my, uh, shortcomings are. So on the biases, I have a bias towards the military, but I don't want to say, Oh, let's bring back the draft. If every kid did at least two years of service, two years in the red cross, two years for your church, two years for what, I mean, those are humbling experience because again, you go back to say, gosh, I could be in this position. Gosh, that could have been me. But then you also say, gosh, what an accomplishment. Think about all the, how good does it make you feel? What is the, uh, I'll see, whatever, whatever the, uh, whatever it is that the, the, the good feeling that we get, I'm not a smart guy. So, um, that makes us feel good whenever we've done a good deed. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, being in the military, one teaches you discipline. Okay. Cause in the old days, you go into jail, you go in the army, you know, back in the thirties and forties right. and what have you. So a lot of guys, a lot of guys went in the army. Okay. <laughs> okay fine. You know, not my, my dad didn't cause he's a bad guy. My dad just wanted a pair of, pair of shoes and a play his own bed. Cause he slept with four brothers in his bed. So, so when you, when you joined, um, it teaches you discipline and a lot of kids, and it's not discipline, you know, pounding into the ground and doing all that stuff. It's discipline saying, hey, you know, when you have this um, approach to life, though, things things work out because you have a systematic approach to things. Really good book out there by Admiral McRaven is called Make Your Bed. Very short read, very easy read. And the whole premise is if you don't do anything during the day, start off the day by making your bed because you get into a routine. And the whole process is um, it's a really great book. It, it, believe me, it is an easy, a fast read. So people who don't say, I don't want to read a book. So trust me, you want to read this book. Actually, I've um, got the ebook ma- and I've got the print book. I've got them both. Got it. You got, I, yeah. You, you get, and so if you've already read, so you know what I'm talking yes. about. So yeah. uh, too easy, too easy. And then all of a sudden, oh, that wasn't too hard. Let me try something else. Oh, that wasn't too hard. And before you know, well, that's what the military does for you. Um, and everybody's different. You know, I had a, a, a nephew and, uh, he was a knucklehead and he smoked dope for a while. So he turned his life around, joined the air force. He's a load master. He's the guy who puts all that stuff in the back of those big, huge airplanes when they ship stuff out, uh, and they fly it away. The most powerful position in the United States military isn't a general. It's that senior NCO, uh, who has the final say of what goes on to a, <laughs> I used to deploy a lot. We would deploy and if one of those NCOs says, oh, no, that's a leak, and your Jeep had a leak in it, he's ain't getting on the plane. I saw colonels arguing with these NCOs. Go, hey, sir, I'm responsible for this airplane. That, that's a gasoline leak. It ain't getting on my plane. There's colonels and yelling, <laughs> faces red, and what that NCO says, hey, man, they get on my plane. 
that's what my nephew does nowadays. So it's just kind of funny because they say, yeah, all that rank is, all those metals, it don't mean squat. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So let's, let's get down to brass tacks. So, so that was always the kind of the funny and the, and the great, there is justice in the world. There is a God. So, you know, you get the, you get the play. So just when you think you're in charge, you ain't. It's like, you think, Oh, you know, I was, Oh, I'm pretty you know high speed, you know, being a senior executive, all that. And I come home and I think I did all these important things. And I come home and Amanda turns to me and says, Hey, don't forget to take out the recycling. Okay. She'll yeah. take you down a couple of pegs real fast. You know? So <laughs> just when you think you're really important to like, you're not. Okay. Yes, dear. You know, I learned that after three marriages. Okay. Hey, just say yes, dear, and move out. Okay. Yes, dear, and move out. So got it. Thanks. So, got it. You know what I'm talking about, Terry. I, so, yes, so, yes, I do. Right, so not hard. So if nothing else, the, well, I'm not saying join the military so you can have a, make your wife happy, but it kind of worked out in the end for me. So uh, here you go. Well, I think from, from my perspective, now I, I was a police officer and served my community for two years, was an MP in a, in a, what they call the 16th service battalion in, in Canada. It's not, it, it's kind of like a, we call ourselves the Sunday soldiers, right? But, um, just that whole concept of service though is, uh, you know, some people feel it, you know, that's beneath them to do that. The reality with service, and I think that the hesitation for a lot of people is they don't want their kids to go into the service because they don't want their kid to die, right? And, yep. uh, you know, of course, that's a reality, but that's a reality in, in uh, you know, gosh, you can, you know, driving to your job at the pillow factory, you can get, you know, you can die there too. But, but yep. the point is, is that I think what happens is you, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you learn about your own capabilities and, yes. and you understand, uh, and the discipline part of it is, is, you know, you don't have to like it. You just have to do it. And when you, when you learn that, you learn what you're capable of. And when you take that life skill that you've now learned, uh, and you learn how to troubleshoot problems, you learn how to evaluate problems, you learn how to look at challenges and difficulties in a non-emotional way. Uh, and you look at it and you deal with it in a tactical way or a strategic way, uh, I think that is probably one of the greatest gifts that we can give our children is they're just more better prepared for life in so many respects. Don't you agree? Oh, absolutely. And, and so one, you know, so thank you for your service. And, and now what you just brought up exactly, did it make you a better person only because I have a more disciplined approach to life, you know, processes and uh, how you process things and what you're just used to. Okay. So, okay. You, you don't think twice about it. You just do it. Um, it, it does make all the difference in the world. Uh, um, and so that's why I mean, so whether you, you learn a lot about yourself is what I'm saying. So, uh, so again, whether it's the red cross, whether it's a hospital, whether it's, it's anywhere, you know, um, you put in service and, and again, you learn a lot about, uh, the military helps with the discipline piece and you don't have to go airborne ranger. You don't have to, you know, go, want to go into seals or what have you, you know, it's just that you learn a lot about yourself and I think you become a better person. So, um, cause my son only served three years, my, uh, John, my older son, uh, mm -hmm. only served three years. He was ready to go. I said, Hey dad, I've had this. And this is good. I said, well, you know, you did something nobody else did. So, okay, cool. Got it. Thanks. Um, and you don't have to make a career out of it. Majority of my uncles didn't make a career out of it. My dad did. Uh, I did. One of my uncles did. And that was it. So out of uh, what, seven, eight uncles, uh, only two, my dad and, and, and my uncle Donnie did. And then that was it. And everybody else, but they all served. Uh, it's just, it just something to do. That happened to be the military. But again, it could be the Red Cross. It could be anything. So um, you just learn a lot about yourself when you do that. And so to your point, um, yeah, um, I just... 
again, it goes to like Emerald McRaven's book, you know, just to, you start learning to do the, some of the simple things and you start looking at it and say, oh, you know, here you go. What else can I accomplish? But it's also in the service to your fellow man. It could be in the service to your mom and dad. It could be in the service to your grandparents. It could be in the service. You, you just, you, you start, you, you go down that path because that's, it ain't about you stud. Okay. It's right. about others. It's about family, so here you go. Well, and the irony is, is I think, you know, you, you, if you're looking at it from, okay, how does this benefit me? You know, serving, how does somebody, serving somebody else, how does that benefit me? It sounds like it benefits <laughs> them, and the reality is the opposite couldn't be more true, you know? Uh, exactly, you, exactly. Your life, your capability is just so much greater once you have served, because you see things in a different way, and when, you know, it, it goes back to books and knowledge, and... Um, you know, you just, you learn exactly, as you said, you learn so much about yourself. I agree with that completely. And, uh, and what, you know, to, to be more specific, you learn, you know, we grow up and we, we, we develop our incapabilities just the same way we develop our, our capabilities or incapabilities based on a value system that we're taught. And oftentimes that is something projected on us by the generation that, that raises us. And so, uh, you know, we, we think, okay, well, you know, I was raised by farmers, you know, it's the best and most honorable thing is to be a farmer and you don't want to be this or that. Then you get into something like a field of service, wherever that is. And you realize that there is a great deal more, you know, I would have never thought I would ever be a photographer. That was the last thing that was on my radar. It was the thing that I excelled at most. Uh, but it was just because I was exposed to something different. Right. And I think in, in serving, uh, you learn because you don't get to choose to do something or not do something because it's uncomfortable. <laughs> you, you have to do it because it needs to get done. And then by doing that, you realize, ah, okay, well, now that I've done that, that opens up a whole new realm of possibility. Do you agree with, absolutely. with that? Or? Oh, oh, no, absolutely. And so, and, and you never go in for what's in it for me because, um, again, it's, I, I, I I don't know how you just, I don't know what the right word is. I don't know what the right description is, but it's just, again, how you were brought up and what, but it makes us better Americans. It makes us better fathers. It makes us better parents. It makes us better, um, um, because we did something good. And I, I guess I, I feel good about stuff. See, that's, that's kind of the high for me. Well, besides when I was running marathons, you get that runner's high. We get high on, you know, so, um, it makes you feel good. Yeah. And so I've accomplished something. You have that sense of accomplishment and sometimes it's tough and sometimes it's easy and sometimes no, not to, to, to be trite about it, but uh, yeah, you just do it because it's for the right reason, okay? Because it's the right thing to do. So, and you know what, Rick? It's uh, it's been an hour. That was a, that was the fastest thirty minutes, <laughs> thirty minute hour. <laughs> yeah, dude, I could talk to you all day. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back in a couple of days with another episode. Rick, we got to do this again, and uh, I got to get out to Florida and see you sometime soon. Thanks everyone. Tell me for when, listening. brother. Okay, okay. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back in a couple days with another episode of Good Light Unscripted, the podcast.